Good morning, church. Glad, glad you're here this morning. Um, when I was Vanya's age, as a kid, um, in, in our church back in Alberta, there were two older ladies. They were twin sisters, had never married, uh, had always lived together, and um, they were weird, okay? <laughs> just going to say it, I mean. As a kid, they just, uh, they, they, they were odd. They, they wore um, old ratty clothes all the time, everywhere they went, and they smelled a little strange maybe, but I um, remember seeing them uh, often walking down the street, uh, pulling a little cart full of groceries or, or whatever else they had, walking anywhere and everywhere. And if they had to go a little bit further than they could walk, they'd call somebody to try to get a ride to get somewhere. Um, remember being invited over to their house once for a meal as a family. and It was my introduction to, to uh, hoarders. And I'd never seen anything like that before, but the house just full of everything that they'd ever had. I don't think they'd ever thrown away like a chocolate bar wrapper or a newspaper, anything. It was quite something. And they fed us a meal of rancid tomato soup. I I don't know how old that can of soup was, but it was old. It was too old. It was rancid. I could hardly get it down. And, um, but you know what, we, our, our hearts went out to these people, these ladies, because they were poor. You know, they, they lived in this really old, rundown um, house. They, they had to visit the, the food bank and the soup kitchen um, to get by. And, and so we, we, we pitied them in their situation. And they gave what they could. I, I remember um, they would often leave a gift on my dad, who was a pastor of this church, often leave a gift at Christmas time, something, for the family. One year it was a, a head of wilted cabbage. And, and another year it was uh, a loaf of moldy bread. Doing the best they could. So you can imagine my dad's surprise when one day he gets a call from one of these ladies and she needed, wanted to talk with him about some will estate things. Um, you can imagine my dad's surprise when he found out that they were multi, multi millionaires. Millions of dollars sitting in the bank. None of it being used, none of it being enjoyed. In reality, they were rich, but in mentality, they were poor. And I, I'm sure if you were in their position, you, you wouldn't be like that, would you? I mean, you'd find a good use for some of that. And I, I just, uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, you wouldn't be here right now. You'd be cruising somewhere. Um, that's crazy. We'd never be like that, except... Sometimes I wonder if I'm not like that. Sometimes I wonder if my mentality doesn't match my reality. I wonder if you're not the same. If at times your mentality doesn't match your reality. Maybe you have a a poor person mentality when in fact you have a rich reality. Paul, as he begins his letter to the Ephesians, begins this way. Chapter one, verse three. This is his very first statement after he Um, introduces himself and goes through the standard opening, grace and peace to you in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this, verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. God has blessed us with what? Every 
How many blessings? Every spiritual blessing in Christ, God has blessed you with, for those who are in Christ. Some people, they, they read that and, and they think maybe that means that to follow Jesus Christ leads to uh, wealth, physical wealth and health. And maybe you've heard some of that. You've turned on the TV late at night and you've seen some televangelist who is, who is preaching that. If you would just send him a little bit of your money, God, God would bless you with even more. But you know, God never promised, Jesus never promised that. It's not what he meant when he said he'd, he'd bless us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Um, in fact, it's the opposite. If you've been here the last few weeks We've revisited what Jesus said in John chapter 16 when he said, in this world you will have trouble. That's a promise, he says. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Jesus says everything that you will face, everything that this world will throw at you and it will throw things at you, everything you will face, I have already overcome. It doesn't need to defeat you or destroy you. I have already overcome it. You can live a victorious life. And so um, in, in this series, this is what we're exploring. What does it look like to live with an overcomer's mentality? Paul says here, you're rich. You're ble- what does it look like to live out our rich, blessed reality with a rich mentality? Victory is not achieved, but is received through faith in Christ. This is, this is the foundational principle that we're looking at over these weeks. We will live victoriously if we know who we are in Christ, Paul says, and if we are living in this reality. Because, he says, there are um, many struggles we will have to face. There are attacks that are gonna come our way, our enemy has tactics and schemes that he uses against us to cause us to not live according to the reality of who we are and what is ours. At the very end of his letter, he talks about this. He began by saying, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ and at the end of the letter, chapter six, starting at verse 10, he's gonna describe for us how we live in this reality. Let's read. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, what he's saying is every struggle you're gonna face in life, there's a deeper struggle going on, a spiritual battle, and he says that's the bigger struggle. He says in verse 13, therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, there you have it, the day of evil, it's not if the day of evil comes, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. And so over these weeks, 
uh, we're, we're exploring these, uh, these pieces of armor that God has given to everyone who follows Jesus Christ that they might live victoriously that help us to overcome and stand against the various tactics uh, that Satan uses against us. And so uh, we, we find ourselves in verse 16 this morning talking about the shield of faith. This is the command of Paul. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, now Paul, when he's wanting to describe how to live in the reality of who we are in Christ, he wants to use um, an illustration that his, his audience would be very familiar with. That would make sense to them. And so he uses the, the analogy of a soldier's armor. Now, in, in his day, uh, everybody would have known what he was talking about, right? Because almost every day, I'm sure, these, these people, when they went to the market or when they went to work or whatever, they would have seen Roman soldiers dressed up in all of these pieces he's talking about. So, so they had a, probably a, uh, an easier time understanding what he meant. Here we are in 2018. We're not so familiar with that. With, with soldiers and with armor and what he's talking about here. I mean, for most of us, the only soldiers we know are these guys, right? Superheroes. I mean, those are the only, that's the only armor I know. And so when I think of a shield, this is, I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't watch these movies like I'm a man. <laughs> right? I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't watch stuff like that, but um, some of you might. <clears throat> but um, here's Captain America. And he's got his shield up, and uh, this is what I picture when I think of the shield of faith. Paul's talking about it's, it's this kind of this, 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 this disc that you put on your forearm that helps you uh, when you're in close combat with the enemy. Um, but that's, that's not the sort of shield that, that Paul is talking about. He uses a very specific word here for shield. It's the Greek word scutum, uh, which is this. This is the shield that every Roman soldier carried. It was a rectangular shield about two and a half feet wide by about four, four and a half feet tall. Uh, it, it was so big it, it almost hid the entire uh, body. Um, and, and soldiers, Roman soldiers, when they moved in their regiments and formation, they, had, they always carried these shields in front of them and it was this wall of shields. And it's one of the things that made um, the Romans so effective Okay? It wasn't made for combat, it was made for advancing together. The Romans uh, were unstoppable in their day. Um, not because they were stronger, not even because they had better weapons, but they had better tactics. They, they, they were organized better. And so that they, they, they had these shields uh, which they used to protect against the arrows of the enemy. Now, when we hear Paul talk about the fiery arrows that are shot, we think of bow and arrow, but that's not what he's talking about here. Um, he uses, again, a very specific word that his hearers would have understood, and you know, we found a whole bunch of these things in archaeological digs, and, and what, uh, what he's referring to are these little darts. So maybe your version says the fiery darts of the, the enemy. It was just a small little weapon like this and, and, and uh, it would be placed in a sling and maybe twirled around fast and then let loose from a great distance and this is how the enemies of the Roman armies would try to overcome them. They would, uh, they would sling these arrows at a distance. Why? Not, not to kill, 
This was not a weapon designed to kill. This was a weapon designed to incapacitate. It was a weapon that was designed to create chaos in the ranks. It was designed to stop them from advancing. That's what it was for, okay? To stop them from advancing forward. And so the Romans uh, developed these shields that they used against these darts. And when they advanced in formation, they advanced, uh, and, and these uh, darts were shot, they formed what they called the turtle formation. And you can understand why, okay? In the regiments, they, they surrounded themselves completely on every side and up top with these shields. So any of those darts that came their way, they just bounced right off and they kept advancing. They never stopped, okay? The goal of the arrows wasn't to defeat the enemy. It was just to stop them from advancing, Uh, Paul says our enemy throws darts as well, like that. But we have a shield like this, he says. So what what are these darts that come against us? And then what is the shield that we use against them? That's what we want to look at here this morning. What are the darts uh, that the enemy uses to stop us from advancing in life? Give you a clint. It's it's a four-letter F word. Not that word. Fear. Okay? This is, this is the four-letter effort to the Christian. Okay? Fear. Fear, worry, and doubt. These are the arrows that he's talking about. They're all related. Fear, worry, and doubt. They are the arch nemesis of the follower of Jesus. And the word follower there is key. Uh, because fear... Um, Fear stops you from moving forward. Fear is effective because it will not allow you to follow. It causes you to stop. To follow is to take steps. We are followers of Jesus Christ. Implicit in that word is we move. We advance. We take steps. Follow is to not stay still. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, a little bit earlier, verses eight to 10. He says, for by, uh, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of our works, so that none of us can boast that we did it, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Anyone else feel the same way? beyond verse 10 we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what for good works which he prepared when which God has prepared beforehand that we should what that we should walk in them okay God has called us he has saved us he has brought us into relationship with him he's brought us into his kingdom He has made us new in Jesus Christ that we might do the good things that he has prepared for us from the beginning. That we should walk in step with them. Okay? The key word there is walk. But Satan is a liar. Okay? This is what Jesus says. Satan is a liar. All he he does is lie because his native language is lying. He cannot defeat you. He cannot destroy you. All he can do is deceive you. He is a false prophet. 
He wants to, he uses fear uh, to foretell the end of something. Something he knows nothing about. He doesn't know the future. He doesn't control the future, right? But Satan is a false uh, prophet who wants to foretell the end to tell, all, to tell you all the bad things that will happen if you move forward. If you walk in step with what God has called you to. He wants to paint an ominous picture of what will happen if you obey God's call. And, 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 that, and that looks so many different ways, right? If you let your kid go on that trip, if you let them go on that mission trip, if you let them move far away from you, something really bad could happen to your kid, you should keep them close. You should encourage them to not go to keep them close. If you confess that sin, um, you know, if you bring that out, you share that with, with the, this person, uh, th- they'd never understand. They probably wouldn't forgive you. You should probably just hide it. If you wait for a godly partner, one will n- probably never come along. You're going to be lonely and miserable for the rest of your life. You should just settle. If you refuse to do that thing that your boss asks you to do that you know is unethical, if you refuse to do it, you could lose your job or not be promoted and jeopardize your future. If you give generously, if you, if, you, if you hear a need and you can meet a need, and if you give generously and sacrificially, you might find yourself in the future without enough to take care of your own needs. You should put it back in your wallet. If you try to get involved in that ministry that you feel you, 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 you need to step out into, that new thing, if you try to do that, you're going to fail and you're going to embarrass yourself. Don't do it. Stay where you are. Be safe. If, 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 right? We have a statement that fear paralyzes you, right? The paralysis of fear. It causes you to stop, to not move. Stops you from advancing, progressing in the good plan that God has for you. Experiencing the power of God in your life that he wants you to experience. Satan wants you to stay in the boat, in the place of safety. So as I was thinking about this, I reminded of a story that many of you would know very well. Matthew tells a story in chapter 14 of his gospel, starting at verse 22. The disciples have just witnessed one of Jesus' most incredible miracles. He has fed 5,000 people with a bag lunch. Wow. Wow. So they've seen this incredible power and um, after this, we're told in Matthew 14, 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed that crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a, a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now that word buffeted, I just, when I hear buff, I just think of buffet. Like I'm actually getting hungry just, right? That word buffeted literally is, is, is the word tormented, okay? The boat was tormented by the storm. Now, anytime Matthew uses that word tormented, it always has the sense of demonic hostility. You remember last week if you were here, 
uh, that servant who had been forgiven much who was unable to forgive the other servant and was angry against him, it says that that man was turned over to his tormentors. It's the same word here. There, there, there seems to be some, some um, demonic hostility that we're supposed to see in what's happening here in this storm against the disciples. And so they're in this great storm and they're terrified and we're told that um, in the middle of the night during this storm they saw this figure, this man walking towards them on the lake and they said it's a ghost and they cried out in fear. But Jesus, it was Jesus, Immediately he said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Peter, being the impulsive sort of guy he was, says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to you on the water. Would you have done that? Lord, I, I want to be out there too, he says. Peter wants to experience the supernatural life. Do you want to experience the supernatural life? Do you want to experience the power of God in your life? He did. He wanted, to, he wanted to experience that. He said to Jesus, enable me to do the same thing you are doing. After all, didn't Jesus promise his disciples that they would do the things he had done and even greater things? Peter says, enable me to do the same thing you are doing. You know, if you, if you uh, ever only do what you know how to do, you will never experience the power of God in your life? If you ever only do what you know you can do, you will never experience the power of God. Peter wanted more. So he says, Lord, if that's you, and if you want me to come out there, call me out, I'm willing to go. He doesn't just jump out of the boat. He's only gonna respond to the word of Jesus to the call of Jesus. He wants to be led. And so Jesus does say, come, Peter. And so he takes this step, and I don't know what that would have looked like if he would have just kind of dipped his toe in there first. That's what I would have done, just to see if it's gonna hold. Or I don't know if he just had to jump out onto the water and found himself up rising above, standing on top of this water. Either way, he, he, there he is walking on the water, and that must have been an exhilarating feeling, living outside of his own power and ability. Okay. So there he is, walking on the water, just as Jesus is walking on the water, and then something um, happens. We're told in verse 30. It says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So th- th- that wind had, was there previously. That wasn't new wind. He knew it was windy. So something here had changed. Up until this point, he had fixed his eyes on Jesus. He was focused on Jesus, on his call, and on his power. Okay? But then in this moment, he takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he sees the waves around him, the swells, and he feels that wind, and we're told that when he focuses on that, he becomes afraid, he stops, and he starts to sink. Notice the order. It doesn't say he started to sink, and then he got afraid. It says he got afraid, and then he stopped, and then he started to sink. And Jesus responds to him. Uh, It says, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him and he said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? 
Jesus said, the, the, the pro, you were doing well, the pro, you were walking on water. The problem was you didn't have faith. You didn't have enough faith. And so you sank. Um, Peter lacked faith. Paul says, we respond to the arrows of fear and doubt and worry with the shield of faith. What faith is he talking about? Is he talking about our faith in Christ? Our trust in him? Is he talking about God's faithfulness to us? Which is it? And the answer is yes. Yes, those two things are inseparable. God is faithful. God is faithful. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The one who will have faith, what do they need to know? They need to know two things, the author of Hebrews says. They need to know one, that he exists. His presence, that he's present. And two, they need to know that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That is, his power, his powerful provision. In order to have faith, we need to know his presence and we need to know his powerful provision. Jesus secures these things for us. Jesus gives us the certainty of God's presence and his powerful provision for us. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, Jesus is God's yes to every promise he has made. If God did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with giving us his son, graciously give us everything that we need? Jesus gives us the certainty of God's presence and his powerful provision in our life. And so, just before he goes up, at the end of his ministry, Matthew records his final words to his disciples They're probably familiar to you too. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. He leaves a final command with his disciples. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Guys, this is what I want. I'm gonna go, this is what I want you to do. I just want you to go into the whole world. And I just want you to, I just want you to convert the world. Can we do that? Now these were not guys with PhDs. These were, not, these were not men that had master's degrees in business and administration and leadership. These were fishermen. These were normal guys and Jesus says, therefore go into all the world. These guys had never been past Jerusalem. Is there anyone here who's never left Manitoba? These people have never been past Jerusalem and, and, and Jesus says, I want you to go into the whole world and bring this good news. What, what a tall task. I wonder how they would have felt. But he, but he couches that call with two statements of reality on either side of it. He begins in verse 18 by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. Jesus says, essentially, everything you're gonna face I have power over. Every storm you're gonna face, everything that comes against you, I want you to know that I have power over it all. 
All authority over all things belongs to me. Therefore, go. And after he gives the call, he closes by saying, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Not only do I have power over all things, but you will have my presence to the very end, Jesus says. That's what his disciples needed to know to go, to move forward. So Peter, you know, when he, what gave him the ability to jump out of the boat? Why would you do such a thing? Well, a few chapters earlier in Matthew chapter 8, the disciples were in another boat, maybe this probably the same boat, on the same lake, but a different storm. And the storm was so bad at that point that they thought they were going to die, and so they woke up Jesus, and Jesus, don't, aren't you concerned that we're going to die in this terrible storm? And Jesus says, guys. And then he stood up, and, and, and at his word, he calmed the wind, and he calmed the waves, this ferocious storm, and they had witnessed it. Jesus had power over the storm. And I'm sure that was in Peter's mind when he, when, he, when he took that step out of the boat. He knew that Jesus was greater and he wanted to be led by him. So God is faithful. This is the shield, Paul says. You have the shield of God's faithfulness. His power and his presence. So Paul says, take up the shield to stand against the darts of fear and doubt and worry that will come your way. He says, we take up the shield by living, uh, by, by living in faith in Jesus Christ. Faith being unconditional obedience in his word. That's what faith is. Okay? Faith is obedience without condition. Obedience without condition Where God guides, he provides. Paul says, keep moving forward in what God has called you to, not being dissuaded by by fear or doubt or worry because where God guides you, he will provide for you. Faith isn't the absence of fear. You know, um, I'm, I'm sure Peter was afraid when he got out of the boat. There was fear there. Faith isn't the absence of fear. Faith is saying yes to God in spite of fear. Faith is to not allow that fear to rule in your heart and to stop you from the thing that God has called you to. Faith says yes. Fear says yes, but... Fear doesn't normally cause us to say no. It causes us to say yes, but when Jesus in Luke chapter um, nine was calling people to follow him, we see this. Jesus uh, says, um, or a man comes up to him and says, I will follow you wherever you go. Uh, And Jesus says, follow me. He says, okay, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bury my father. 
And Jesus says, no. And you think, what a meanie. Jesus, you can't give him a half hour to go bury his dead father before he follows you? His father wasn't dead. What he was saying is, okay, when, when I, I, you know, it's my responsibility to bury my father, so when he gets to the point where he passes away and, and I bury him and that's done, then I'll come follow you. I'll follow you, but another man says right in the next verse, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. I will follow you, but that's what fear causes us to do. It puts conditions on our yes. I wonder sometimes if we do that. I wonder if I do that. I know I do that. Yes, but maybe not now. Maybe not until. We often stick our butts where they ought not to be. So what I need to ask myself and what you need to ask yourself is, is there anything that God is saying to you to which you're responding with fear? You're saying yes, but. Jesus says, follow me, repent of your sins and be baptized. We have a baptism service coming up in a few weeks and I've, once in a while I, I say, some of you need to be baptized. And, and, I, and I know for some of you it's, yes, but. For some of you, there, there's a hard conversation you need to have. There's some reconciliation you need to pursue with somebody and you know that. But, but you say, yes, but. There's some fear that keeps you from doing the thing that God is calling you to do, that's stopping you. Maybe there's something that God has laid on your heart, some prompting, something he's calling you into, something to be involved in, something to contribute towards, and you sense that call from God, that word from him, and you say, yes, but. What I like to do when that happens is to to actually put my case before God. See how it goes. You ever tried that? Okay, God, I know you said this, but. Okay. Um, I'm concerned about what, okay, you're right. We will lose every argument with God because in Christ, we have God's perfect presence and we have his powerful provision where he guides us to He guides us through. He provides. And so, this is the question I want you to ask yourself. Is there anything that God is calling you to to which um, you have stopped because you're afraid? Which you've said, yes, Lord, but. Do you need to get your butt out of the way? You know, our butts keep us from experiencing God's best. That's what, I, that's what I see in those words there. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He what? What does he do for those who seek him? He what? 
He rewards. Our butts keep us from experiencing God's best. All the blessings that God wants to give to us and do through us. Fear keeps us from realizing those things because it causes us to stop and not walk in the things that God has prepared in advance for us to do. So is there anything in your life that you are allowing fear um, to rule in instead of faith? This is the question we each need to ask ourselves Fear, it's always a way of seeking safety. It's always a way of seeking safety. Jesus, um, in Matthew chapter six, he said to his disciples, verse 31, he said, don't worry, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things. They try to secure for themselves their, their present and their future. He says don't worry, don't run after those things first for your heavenly father knows that you need them but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. That's Jesus saying say yes. Whatever God calls you to, whatever his word is to you, obey without condition. Say yes. And you will find that your powerful, ever-present heavenly father will give you all you need. There was this little card with a, with a, a, a statement that my mom taped up on the wall right above our kitchen sink as a kid. It's kind of seared into my memory. I saw it every time I had to wash dishes. Um, but this, and, 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 and I saw it there all the time and it's something I heard my parents say often and it, it went like this. The safest place to be is in the center of God's will. This is, can you remember that? The safest place to be is where God calls you to be because that's the place where he is. That's the place where he plans to provide and where he plans to bless. The safest place to be is in the center of God's will. It's not in the boat. There is supposed safety in, in the boat. Fear will keep you in the boat, living within yourself. But even the safest boat can capsize, right? The Titanic, even the safest boat will sink given a big enough storm. Right? The only place of true security is the will of God and walking in it. Right? That is where we are safe. So Paul says, take the shield of faith and raise it up so you can come against all the fears and the doubts and the worries that you will face in life. Some trust in horses, some in chariots, some in the thick walls that they have built for themselves, but we trust in the Lord. He is our strong tower. We are safe when we walk by faith. May your faith be bigger than your fears. We want to take this home. And I just want to ask you to ponder a few questions. 
How has God been faithful to you? How has God been faithful to you? Do you have any fear that is holding you back from doing what God is calling you to do? Maybe it's just an explicit command of, of his word. And, and it's a place, but, you, but you're saying, if you're honest, you're saying, yes, but. Maybe it's, maybe it's just a word he's given you, a prompting, he, he's, he's, he's speaking to you, and, and your response has been, yes, but. Do you have any fear that is holding you back from doing what God is calling you to do? If so, Get that butt out of the way and say yes to God. I know I'm a teenager. I'm a teenager. I just can't help myself. Get your butt out of the way and say yes to God by taking a step forward in faith. Right? What is that step you need to take to advance um, in those things that God has prepared for you that you might walk in them. So I want you to bow your head and I want you to close your eyes and I just want us to give um, a minute or two for you to talk to God. The first thing that um, I want you to say to God is say thank you. Just take a minute and say thank you God for being faithful. If there's any fear in your heart that you feel is kind of stopping you, has stopped you, is ruling you in some way, I, I acknowledge that to God right now. Say, God, I have this fear. Take a minute then just to ask God for faith. You know, the Bible says that faith is a gift from God. So just say, God, would you give me the faith? Would you give me more faith um, so that I will not be ruled by this fear but that I could move forward in the thing that you have called me to and experience those blessings you have for me? Lord, give me faith. Ask him for that right now. Would you stand with me? Lord Jesus, you are the calmer of the storm. We are reminded this morning that you have power and authority over everything that could come against us, everything that we're gonna face when we go back home and back to work and back to school, back to our families this week. You have power over it all. Um, and you have promised to be with us and to never leave us nor forsake us. Father, give us the faith that we need just to move forward in the things that you call us to. You've called us to great and wonderful things. 
each one of us and us as a church, things that can only be realized when we don't give in to fear, but when we take up that shield of faith and when we keep moving forward. But Lord, we know that we battle these fears and so I I pray that you would just give us the faith and more faith so that we can move forward in those things that you have called us to. We trust in you, Lord. We just want to tell you that we trust in you. And we love you. And as we sing this final song together, Lord, this, is, this will be to us just an expression of the faith that we are placing in you right now. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.